This episode could be triggering for sensitive listeners and contains mature content. It may not be suitable to all listeners. Should you need any emotional assistance, please see the show notes for telephone numbers that you can call. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are my own and do not reflect the official policy or position of the podcast. Any content provided by contributors, such as the host, guests, bloggers, sponsors, or authors, are of their opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. One thousand seven hundred and fifty kilometers east of northern Australia, in the South Pacific Ocean, lies the Republic of Vanuatu. This republic is made up of eighty-three islands created by volcanic residue, of which sixty-five are populated. This nation has been voted the happiest place in the world a few times. It is estimated that the original inhabitants settled there over three thousand years ago and was once home to fierce warriors, among which were even cannibals. The first Europeans are said to have come to the islands in the early 1600s. Over the years, there were different claims to the island, and they were also colonized by both the French and the British. They finally achieved independence in 1980. Because of the colonialism, the Republic is now 93% Christian but there are those who believe, well, you'll find out in a bit. This is Decoding Cults, and I am your host, Palsy. You are listening to the John Frum and the Prince Philip Movement. In my introductory episode, I mentioned that not all cults are malignant. I wanted to take a quick look at two that were more, I guess, light-hearted and yet fascinating to me. The reason why I have two in the same episode is because they are not only both from the same place, but are still practiced to this day. Tanner Island is one of the southernmost islands in the Republic of Vanuatu. This island is 40 kilometers long and 19 kilometers wide, and the majority of the population are Melanesians, who are indigenous to the region. Mount Tukusmera is the tallest mountain on the island, with an elevation of 1,084 meters. Also on Tana Island is Mount Yasser, with an elevation of 361 meters. It is the most active volcano on the island, and it is from here that the inhabitants believe that all life sprang. Some of the Melanesians, who are people indigenous to the South Pacific island regions, live a very traditional lifestyle in their villages. The men wear numbers, which is a covering over their groin area, and, depending on the region of the island, could be a penis sheath, a long mat worn around the waist, or even a bundle of grass over the penis, which is tied around the waist with a piece of string. 
The women of the villages wear skirts made from long dried grass. They live in homes made from materials found in the surrounding area, like wood and leaves and grass. The men and women each have their own responsibilities within the village. It's very much a hunter-gatherer type setup. The men make their own bows and arrows, and they hunt for their meat. The women raise the children in the village. These villagers live very much according to their custom or custom, and reject most things from the modern world. One of the things that the locals do do for fun is something called arseboarding. Yes, you heard right. They travel to the nearest volcano and climb up it. Then they take makeshift sleds made from carved pieces of wood and slide down the side of the ash-covered mountain on their bums. For many years, the islanders prayed to the mountain god Keraperamun. One of the beliefs was that two women were sitting at the edge of a volcano. The mountain god came down and impregnated them. They bore him a son with very light skin. This son, who they deemed to be the spirit of the garden, was said to have travelled to a far-off land. There, he would marry a very powerful woman, and, upon his return to their land, would bestow great gifts upon them. They would perform traditional dances, which consist of stomping their feet, jumping around, and singing traditional songs, and they would consume their traditional drink called kava. This drink is made from the roots of the kava plant, which is a peppery plant, and is said to have sedative, anesthetic, and euphorian properties. Traditionally, the roots are chewed and spat out, then mixed with water to create the drink. Participants in the kava drinking ritual would sit down in order of rank, and the drink would be shared in the same order. The drink is said to make your mouth numb. The villagers would drink kava to commune with the spirits. When the early Christian missionaries came to the island, they impressed their beliefs on the natives and also made them move away from their traditions and even made them wear clothes. Some of the natives were even taken into slavery. They tried to believe in what the missionaries were saying but realized that they were just being abused. After all, to them, they were already in paradise and had everything that they needed right there. Just on a side note, for those of you who live on the edge, bungee jumping finds its origins in the vine jumping of Vanuatu. As you may know, there are some cultures which have practices that are the gateway for boys to become men. For example, in my country, South Africa, one of these rituals is also known as Uwaluko. This is the initiation rite, which includes traditional circumcision. The ritual is conducted twice a year, once in the winter months over June or July, and once over the summer months like November-December. In Vanuatu, 20 to 30 meter tall structures that look like complicated scaffolding are built from wood. Boys then tie two tree vines around each of their ankles and jump from various levels of these structures down towards the ground. The levels would depend on their level of experience. The men and women on the ground sing and dance in encouragement. To them, this is a rite of passage. As I mentioned before, the Western world started colonizing the islands. The inhabitants were oppressed, 
and their traditional beliefs were banned. The inhabitants longed for a saviour to rescue them and allow them to return to their traditional way of life. During the colonisation, the group of islands was called New Hebrides, and this was split between the French and the British. But it is during World War II where the real story begins for the movements. During World War II, after the devastation at Pearl Harbour, America finally entered the war. The Americans used the Republic of Vanuatu, known then as New Hebrides, as a base for their operations in the South Pacific against Japan. This included the island of Tanna. When the American military landed their planes and boats on the island, they brought with them many things from the modern world like canned food, Coca-Cola, and even medicines. This intrigued the natives. These supplies were referred to by the natives as cargo. I can only surmise that this is because they heard of cargo ships and saw these miraculous things coming from the ships. Some of the locals even thought that there must be some kind of magic involved as the cargo just kept coming and didn't seem to run out. Stories started to emerge about a man called John Frum. In one tale, it is said that he landed on the island in a plane and was the chosen one who would help the local people break free from colonialism and bring them great gifts. In another tale, it was said that a local man called Manihivi took the alias John Frum and started appearing among the people wearing western-style clothing and promised them riches like houses, clothes and food from the western world. They all, however, agreed that he was an African-American soldier from the U.S., who would bring them all the spoils from the Western world, and they would live a happy life in luxury. The story behind the name John Frum, spelt F-R-U-M, is said to come from the fact that when the American soldiers introduced themselves, they would say things like, Hi, I am John from California, or I am Sam from New York, and this I am so-and-so from, then became John from, which to the locals, then became John Frum. Furthermore, unlike the earlier missionaries on the island, the soldiers took a genuine interest in their lives. They also found it fascinating to see white and black soldiers fighting side by side. John Frum quickly became legend, and the natives revered him as a godlike figure. When the war ended, the troops packed up and left the island, and it was even said that John Frum had disappeared with them. Following the departure, some of the followers were convinced that John Frum would return and that they needed to prepare for this. In preparing for his coming, locals created makeshift military camps and built rudimentary runways where he could land his plane and also where all of the planes bringing the promised cargo could land. One of the reasons behind these airfields is that during the war, they saw airfields being built and then planes would come with the cargo. So they decided to start building them during the war, and lo and behold, planes would land there. The belief was that John would return on the 15th of February. It's not clearly stated how they came upon the day, but from then on, this day was celebrated as John Frum Day. On this day, they held and still hold military-style parades, 
where men would paint their faces in ritual colors and wear homemade uniforms. They then march up and down in formation, some wearing white t-shirts with TUSA for Tanner USA painted on them. And some would wear jeans with bare chests with the letters USA painted on them in red. They also carry rifles made from sticks, and the tops of these are also painted in red. All of this in the hopes that John would come back to them. Yonanen is a village on Tanner Island, where the villagers still live a very traditional or custom lifestyle. The village was very remote, and most of the goings-on in the rest of the country mostly bypassed them. The villagers still strongly believed in the mountain god and his saviour son. During the 1960s, there was some news that trickled down to them about the British Queen and her husband and their involvement in the colony. When they saw pictures of the couple, they started to wonder if Prince Philip could be the son of the mountain god which was spoken of in their legends. In 1974, during one of their Commonwealth tours, Queen Elizabeth and her husband Prince Philip arrived at Vanuatu on a ship. A few of the villagers from the Yonanan village were able to see the royal couple from afar. It is said that once the village elder lay his eyes on the prince, he then knew that he was indeed the son that the legend had spoken about. He brought news back to the village that Prince Philip was in fact the son of their mountain god, and they immediately incorporated the idea of the prince into their beliefs and practices. They now prayed to Prince Philip to bless their crops, provide rain, and even sunshine when it was needed. They also prayed to him to uphold and save their customs, as they felt that these were under threat from their government. Part of their ritual was to have the young men in the village prepare kava, and then they would drink it and worship the prince. They would also perform ritual dances during this time. The elders would see the image of the prince appear on a rock, and when this happened, good things would happen to the village, like a good harvest of their crops. Furthermore, the followers believed that the prince would return to them. On the day of his return, there would be no more sickness or death. They would always yield great crops, and he would bring them all of the riches from the western world. All the while, Prince Philip had no idea of this movement all the way across the world from where he lived. In the early 1980s, the British Commissioner, John Champion, made Prince Philip aware of this movement and suggested that the prince send them a portrait of himself. He sent them an official photograph of himself and even signed it. The villagers were so grateful for this that they in turn sent him a null-null, a nol-nol is a traditional club which the locals in the more remote villages use to club pigs when they are to be slaughtered. Accompanying the club was a letter to the prince, which apparently stated that should the prince believe that he is indeed from Tanner, he should send a photo of himself holding the nol-nol. I'm not sure if the prince read the letter, but he did send the villagers a photograph of him posing with the nol-nol. These photos are very highly regarded and were kept by the village chief, Jack Naiva. The photo of the prince holding the club is of great importance to them 
as they believe that this is proof that he is from the island. Over the years, the villagers kept up with their traditions and, when visitors came from Britain and brought them any photos or news articles or things pertaining to the prince or the royal family, they added these to their shrine. The prince kept in contact with the villagers and, in 2007, five of the followers got the opportunity to not only visit the UK but also visit with the prince. They got to pose in a photo with the prince and this framed photo is also kept in a special place along with other memorabilia. When Chief Jack Naiva passed in 2009, Prince Philip reached out to the followers, extending his condolences. The followers firmly believed that Prince Philip would return to them on his 89th birthday, which would have been on 10 June 2010. A few days before his birthday, they started preparations in anticipation of his coming even building a new shrine adorned with fruits. As we know, the prince did not return to the island. Two English students, who happened to be studying the tribes in Vanuatu, heard about this tribe and came to the village on the prince's birthday. When they saw all of the preparation that had gone into the prince's coming, they took it upon themselves to inform the followers that the prince still had work to do in his country and would not be able to return. Although this news disappointed them, it did not deter the followers' beliefs. In 2015, Cyclone Pam was raging in the South Pacific. Many saw it as a bad omen that indicated the coming of the end of the world, but the followers of the Prince Philip movement interpreted it differently. They predicted that the cyclone meant that the prince was ready to move to a higher level and that his return was imminent. The islanders believed that the spirit of Prince Philip would never die. Upon the passing of Prince Philip, the islanders went into a period of mourning. During this period, they conducted rites for him which included cover drinking, gatherings around their displays, processions in his honour and ritualistic dancing. The question now is whether they will choose a successor and if the successor would be Prince Charles. I realize that these two movements are not cult-like in the sense that we would understand it, but both the John Frum and Prince Philip followers are cult-like in their beliefs. They reject all other beliefs and live these two men, even though I do believe that one may be fictitious, to godlike statuses, and even pray to them. Some of the followers of John Frum believe that they can only get to Jesus through him. Even though these followers live a peaceful and humble life, their fierce belief system and, in the case of the John Frum movement, their belief in riches being returned to them, are seen as cargo cults, which, according to Britannica.com, is, quote, any of the religious movements chiefly, but not solely, in Melanesia, that exhibit the imminence of a new age of blessing to be initiated by the arrival of special cargo of goods from supernatural sources, based on the observation by local residents of the delivery of supplies to colonial officials. End quote. I hope that you enjoyed this short episode. If so, please hit the subscribe button on the app that you are listening on, and please rate it and leave a review. It'll help in improving our show. A five-star rating 
will help get the word out for this podcast on all platforms. You can also find us on Facebook at the Decoding Cults group and you can email us at decodingcults at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. The amazing logo art was done by the tattoo artist Jock Jacobs. Thank you so much for listening.